Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. We're in a series in the book of Mark called Kingdom Come, and the journey through Mark leads us up to Easter. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Enjoy the message. Today we're in Mark chapter 2. We're in our third week of our series called Kingdom Come. And, um, and kind of if you're taking notes, there's a passage actually in the Mark booklets. If you don't have a Mark booklet, we have some out uh, in resources out in the courtyard. But the title of this week's message is The Healthy Don't Need a Doctor. The Healthy Don't Need a Doctor. I don't know if you've ever been, you ever been in, uh, in an environment where you, you were new to the space and uh, somebody invited you in, um, you know, you were in the high school cafeteria and somebody looked at you and was like, over here, I got a seat right here. Or, uh, you know, it was a work fun- function and, you know, people kind of click out. Everybody has their own, you know, th- their group of people that they kind of normally roll with. But then you just get invited into it. Brooke and I, we were at an event um, just this past week with some of these people who already knew each other really well. And we, we went into the lobby of this space and people were kind of hanging out and, one of the guys that I just met, he looked over at us. He was like, hey, right here, I got you. Pulled up a seat. And it just feels good when you're invited, um, when you're invited in. And uh, especially, I would say, around mealtime, you know. And mealtime is it's just, I mean, it covers so much of who we are. I don't think you realize how important meals are to us. If we're, if we're going to celebrate something, if you're having, throwing a birthday party, what are you, you're like, well, we're going to feed them. We're going to feed people. That's what we're going to do, right? Um, if, you, if you are... You know, loving on people who are sick. You're like, well, bring them a casserole. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, if somebody passed away, give them some food, right? And it's just like, if you're traveling, if you're like us, when we vacation, it's like, what are we going to do while we're going? We're going to eat. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at all the spots to eat. And so um, it, the most meaningful moments in your life, a lot of them, you'll be surprised how many of them happen around a table, around a meal. And what's true for us is also true uh, for Jesus and his contemporaries. God leverages the table to draw people to himself. And that's what we see uh, in, in this gospel account of Mark, some of the richest conversation in life happen around the table. And Jesus, it just seems to be where he does some of his best work. As a matter of fact, majority of Jesus's best work happens outside of a synagogue or a church setting. It just happens out in the community. It happens as he's breaking bread. It just happens as he's spending time doing life with people. I'm at a well, I'm thirsty. I just need some water. So this is, this is where some of his miracles, some of his greatest teachings, they happen around Food, they happen around a table. And one scholar said this about Jesus as I was preparing for today. He said, in the Gospels, Jesus is either coming from a meal, at a meal, or heading to a meal. All right? And so I, I really appreciate uh, the Lord leading us in that. And, and so you can tell by, like, just, how, just by me that I really appreciate that. Right? And so, um, and so it, another biblical scholar said, it, if you read the New Testament and do not get hungry, you're not paying attention. Right? There's just so much. It's like if you're sitting, it's like watching I used to watch, we used to watch like the Food Network and we're like, why do we do that? It just makes you hungry when you watch Food Network. If you read the Bible, make you hungry because a lot's happening around the table. So we see Jesus at the table, Mark chapter two, verse 13. It says this, once again, Jesus went out 
beside the lake, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. So if you remember back to last week, he shows up, he's kicked out uh, of the synagogue and then he just goes out into a rural area. A lot of times rabbis, teachers would go out to places outside of synagogue territories. And so that's what Jesus does. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. We talked about that last week. He says, hey, I want you. Jesus told him, and then Levi got up and followed him, left the booth, left his life, left his vocation, left everything, and followed him. And so Levi, when it says Levi, uh, it's talking about Matthew. Um, and, and Matthew is, you know, is given this new name and, um, and this new identity in Christ, and, and one a Hebrew name, one a, one a Greek name, but he gets this new identity. And so um, Matthew's the one, or Levi's the one that gives us the gospel account of Matthew and he's a tax collector for uh, Herod of Antipas, or, and you would know him as King Herod. And tax collectors, Levi, he's a Jew uh, by birth, but he's kind of sold his soul a little bit to the Roman government, and he makes good on his own people. And the way that it works is you had a region, and as a tax collector, when people would move from one region to another region, you would tax the people as they enter. It's kind of like a toll, if you're, if, you're, you're like a, you know, if you're driving and you hit a toll, and we all hate tolls. So it's like, yeah, I hate being charged to like go places. And so that's what, that's what happened. People were charged to go into the new territory. They were also charged for imports and exports, anything you're bringing or taking. So there's a charge for that. But then on top of that, tax collectors could just take a little bit off the top. They could just charge people whatever they wanted to charge them to collect the taxes, which is sound, is sounds and is an incredible, uh, incredibly shady business, right? So like people hated tax collectors. If you think today... Of uh, imagine how unpopular IRS agents and parking attendants are, um, and you just, we just don't like unless you are one, and we love you in Jesus' name, right? So we're so we're so glad you're here, um, and we love you. The Lord loves you. Just people don't like you very much, right? So that's what. But but we just don't like we don't. Nobody likes a toll or a tax, especially for someone who's taking a little bit off the top. I, why am I paying you to take my money? And so, not only was Matthew. Uh, a tax collector made good financially off his people, but he worked for Rome, and Rome was the enemy not only of the Jews, but of God. And so this man would have been hated by his new peers. So Peter and James and John, all of them would have looked at this brother and been like, real, for real? Like, why would you call that guy? Why would you bring that guy into the fold? What are you doing, Jesus? As a matter of fact, when it happened, you know they're rolling with Jesus, they're walking along with Jesus. Jesus looks at Matthew, and he's like, follow me. And they're like, no, no. Can we, you know, like, and so anyway, that's what's happening in this moment. And, um, here's something we see time and time again, uh, for the person who has a new encounter with Jesus. So Matthew is called and he's so excited that he's been called. He's so excited for this moment, really his salvation moment where Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And then he, he responds in kind that he wants to tell everybody that he knows about Jesus. And it's wild to him. He's like, how have I, how have I been invited in on this? And so this is what happens in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And so for Jesus, meals are always more about, you know, more than just food. It's, it's really for Jesus, breaking bread with others was a, a sign and a symbol of God's kingdom. We're talking about this series, Kingdom Come. And, and the reason why we see Jesus at a table so often is because he's, 
he's, he's basically saying to everybody, hey, my table's open. Whosoever will may come. There's going to be all kinds of color, colorful characters at my table. It's going to look way different than what it's looked like in the past. And so it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your age is, your background, your race, your income, what you've done, what you said, the things you like. None of those things matter. And so all are welcome to this table. Uh, and here, here's how important the theme is and all throughout Scripture, this idea of the kingdom being like uh, a feast. Isaiah 25, 6. Um, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine. Mm, that good wine. The best of meats and the finest of wines is what it says. Matthew eight eleven, he, Jesus gives this vision of the kingdom where, the, where everybody's invited to this feast. It says this in Matthew eight eleven. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 22, 2, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Luke's gospel said, blessed is the one who eats at the feast of God. And so there's this overwhelming theme throughout the gospel accounts. All New Testament literature just kind of points to this idea of the kingdom being like a big banquet, like a wedding banquet. And so uh, for Jesus, meals are always more about so much more than food. And when Jesus is sitting down to eat at Matthew's house, he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God should look like, divine hospitality. And, and this is what I'm about. And so Jesus is handing out invites to this party, to the, the passage tells us, to tax collectors and sinners through Matthew. So, so his, his followers and contemporaries are like, why are you calling Matthew? Why are you calling this brother? Why are you after this guy? Because he was after other tax collectors and he was after other sinners. And guess how he got to them? Through Matthew. And so some of you are thinking, man, why am I in a church space? Why is God doing a thing in my heart? Why am I excited about my faith? Why am I here? For the people around you. That's why you're here. You're going to be able to reach people and serve people and, and preach to people and just share the message of Jesus in ways that nobody else in this room can. God will look at you and say, hey, follow me. And the whole purpose is so that you could throw a party in his name and invite people who are far from him to come into a relationship with him. And this is what Matthew does. It's a large crowd of his peers. These are not church people. <laughs> these, are not, these are not holier than that. These are not the Pharisees, right? Um, these, are, these, are, these are people who are far from God. Again, tax collectors. They're kind of, they're, they're just outcasts when it comes to their own people. Uh, and sinners, these people who have a category as sinners, which means you know you're a sinner when you're known as a sinner. That's just like what your name is. So like, that's who these people are. And for people who've come to faith in Christ, like Matthew, sometimes our tendency is to want to leave kind of the old self completely behind, our old world completely behind. We want, and it's a good motive. It's a good heart behind it. But even sometimes the people that we knew, like, all right, I got my church people and then I got my, my workout people, and then I got my work people, and then I got my friends over here still say inappropriate things. I don't know what to do except laugh uncomfortably and just like because I'm avoiding conflict. Like, you know what I mean? So that's, that's how we do it instead of what Matthew does, which is, hey, I need to tell you what this, I met Jesus, and I need to tell you about this moment, and I need to tell you what God's doing in my life, and it is crazy when you come to this dinner, when you come to this event, when you come to the table. And so that's what we're supposed to to do because we're called really primarily you're called and, and God desires to do a personal work of salvation in your life and does. But here's the beautiful thing. You're called not just for you, but you're called for others around you. 
And, and so that's what Matthew has this moment where he realizes this and Jesus leans in again, a colorful bunch around the table. And so uh, he invites all of his jacked up friends to come to dinner with Jesus. And, and it's a beautiful picture. And, uh, and, and the Bible tells us that they were tax collectors and sinners, which means uh, this group of people had some known sin. And, and for, the, for this, this group in particular, it could have been, uh, you know, it could have been prostitutes. It could have, there's, there's passages where prostitutes show up to a dinner party or people who struggle with some addiction or people like whatever you have in mind when you're thinking about sin today, but also included in that list of sinners is people who are just ceremonially unclean. There are people who are sick, people who have uh, deformities, people who are lepers, people who just have been written off, people who are Jewish by birth. They just don't give a rip. They're like, I don't care about the law. Like there's all kinds of people in this space. Uh, this is what they're known for. Mark two sixteen. he goes on. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is going on? And so everything uh, in this time period, for like in Jesus's world, almost all parties, all gatherings, all get togethers, all that's happening outside because it's hot. First century Palestine is like not cool. You know what I mean? There's no air conditioning. So they're out in a courtyard and, um, and they're having a dinner party, big table. Matthew ain't broke. You know what I mean? He's a tax collector. So it's nice. I mean, it's a, it's a good party. Get the DJ, big old table, nice court. Look at that courtyard. Look at that stone. That's crazy. That's, you know, like people were excited to be in this space, beautiful space, but it's outdoors. Pharisees, you know, low key stalking or not so low key stalking Jesus, the entire, uh, you know, gospel, all the gospel accounts, the new Testament show us that they're just kind of there listening to wait to, to hear what Jesus has to say, what he's doing. And, uh, and again, it's outdoors. So it's on display for everybody. They're not upset at what's being served. They're not upset about the food or the drink or the atmosphere so much as they are the guest list. Why are these people here? And, and for the Pharisees, a little bit of background, because if you grew up in church, you've just heard like Pharisees are bad people. Pharisees are bad. Uh, but Pharisees weren't bad. Pharisees were actually like initially, like the whole point of Pharisee was to be, that term points to the fact that they are people set apart. Their whole desire, their whole focus was holiness. Their whole desire was godliness. And somehow they had drifted from a place of being totally dependent on God to, to just dead religion and rule following. And so what, it, what started off, and this is, a, this is a warning, I'm firing off a warning shot for, for those of you that are in the room. The longer you follow Jesus, the longer your relationship with God, if you're not careful, it becomes us versus them. It becomes bubble Christianity. It becomes me, myself, and I, and I just want to like, okay, if we could just not get anything else on us, okay, we'll be all right. So, but but it's, this is not Jesus, and this is not the model that he shares with us. He creates space for completely broken people, people who don't share his convictions, people who say, do things, people who went places. It's just like those people. They're even labeled as sinners. And so for the Pharisees, the whole idea is that now you just got to like, you got to be holy. You got to be holy. But for them, in your own strength, there's 613 laws that we all got to uphold. And we're all, here's the idea, and following God, kind of in their worldview, you, you've got to be a mini priest, and, and your home is a mini temple, and your table is a mini altar. And who you break bread with, who you share time with, is exemplary. It just tells us about who you are. So you don't want to be around unclean people. You don't want to be around sinners. You don't want to be around tax collectors. You want to be around those people, right? And so uh, 
this desire with godliness, it drifts towards this place of dead religion. And so to, this, to, the, to the Pharisees, because of their worldview and the view of their home and their table, who you ate with was symbolic about who was clean and unclean. Who you eat with or who you refuse to eat with is a way of saying who is in and who is out for the Pharisees. And for Jesus, the opposite is true. Jesus, food was all a way, always a way to include people, draw people into the presence of God. And this is why Jesus says this in verse 17. Okay, he says this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. And so if you're taking notes today, here's the first of three points. It's this. You have to know what you need. You have to know what you need. If you and I are going to be uh, invited to the table of Jesus, if you and I are going to break bread and commune with the Son of Man, the first thing that we have to do, he tells us in this passage, the reason why these people are at my table is because they know they need what I have to offer. The <laughs> reason why you're not at my table is because you believe you don't. <laughs> right? And so uh, the Pharisees saw Matthew and his friends as condemned sinners, but Jesus saw them in need of a great physician. And then he offers them an opportunity to step into a relationship. Christ, he, he would use miracles to reinforce uh, spiritual principles. So when he goes and he heals a paralytic or cleanses a leper, he makes a claim about who he is and the authority that he has over the diseases. So he doesn't heal everyone with leprosy. And he doesn't heal everyone who's lame. And he doesn't resurrect everyone who dies. And he just, but he's making a claim all about his New Testament miracles are really pointing to, to who he is. It's more about... The spiritual impact is he, he desires more for you to be in a relationship with God than he does for you to be completely physically whole. And so, and he's making this claim in the New Testament. And so, and sin is not unlike a disease in that uh, it starts in a small and often hidden way. It grows secretly. It can begin to suck the life out of you. And if you're not careful, it kills certain parts of your life, kills certain relationships. It'll kill your own health, your purpose, your relationship with God. And it's tragic when people get physically sick, even more tragic when they walk around spiritually sick and then they pretend like they're not. And so what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and he's saying it to me and you, church people, don't pretend like you don't need me. Don't forget how sick you were when I met you. Don't forget how far you were when I met you. And, and don't pretend like you have it all together and they don't and you've arrived and they haven't. And he said, I need you to totally change your mindset and just remember how broken you were when I met you, how much you needed me, because the people who are around you that are bothering you right now really need the same thing. Create space for them. And so the question is, for the per person who's never trusted Christ, do you see yourself in need of a physician, in need of healing, and in need of life? And until you do, you're still going to walk around and pretend like you're good in your own strength. You You will. Until the moment you realize, oh, I'm not. And that's the moment of salvation is when you realize, oh, I need a Savior and I need a Lord. And you see Jesus for who he is. He looks at you and he says, hey, come follow me. But also for the rest of us, right, people who are already in a relationship, you're already in Christ. Does your mission look like Jesus? And are you about creating more margin and being intentional about helping others to get to the great physician? Does your table look like Matthew's table? Overwhelmingly for us as a church, any, any place where people have been impacted, people who've come to faith in Christ, people who've taken the next step in baptism, just getting excited about being in a relationship with Jesus has been because somebody else in their life, they saw transformation happen. 
They saw life change in the part of a, a spouse, a, a kid, a coworker, or somebody. They're like, that's different. And so they lean in, and then God gets a hold of them. And so Matthew's creating room for people who don't look like the religious elite, who don't look like they have it all together, who don't look like, who aren't, you know, godly people. And, and, and that's where Jesus is primarily focused. That's where his work is. Hey, I'm here not for the righteous, the self-righteous, by the way. I'm not here for people who think they have it together. I'm here for people who know they don't. And that's the first stop. And that's, that's the stop for the person who's far from God. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's your first stop. Guess what? Jesus follower, person who's in a relationship with Jesus, you got to stay there. You got to be dependent. It's not, you're not, gonna, you're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Not in your own strength. There's not a, no amount of rule following or good behavior that's going to get you into the kingdom of God. Jesus gets you into the kingdom of God. He invites you to follow him. So I have to know what I need. I have to be dependent on him. And here's the second thing that Jesus shows us. Uh, look at this in Mark 2, 18 through 20. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? But you were not. You were eating a lot, okay? And uh, just really publicly. And so Jesus answered, how can guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so, as lo- so long as they have them with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they'll fast. And so Jesus says, I'm here. Why would we not celebrate? <laughs> it's basically what he's saying. Hey, you, like, God's people have been waiting on the Son of Man. God's people have been waiting on the Messiah, been waiting on the Son of God. You didn't even realize what you were waiting on. But I'm here, and while I'm here, we're going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate his presence. That's what it's about. And so you have to know, the whole thing is, and this is a very deep theological point I have on this next one, you have to know when to party, okay? You have to know when to party. Some of y'all are really encouraged by that. You don't ever write anything down. You're right, like, yes, I like that. I'm good on that one, yeah. So not, not, not only were the scribes and the Pharisees mad at, at, at who was invited to this dinner, they were also mad at the atmosphere of this dinner, um, they're mad at the vibe. There's obvious joy in the room. And so it's, it's not, a, not only did you invite these people to the table, but you're actually celebrating with them. You're actually having a good time. You're like, you're eating and you're like, you're not even, you're not condemning them or telling them what they're doing wrong. You're like breaking bread, but it's a weird space. And so Jesus says in my presence, it should be like a wedding banquet. How many of y'all have ever been to a good wedding? You've been to like a good wedding. You're like, I don't know what they spent on this, but it was good. You know what I mean? And so whatever your idea of a good wedding is, Jewish weddings were seven days. Hello. Oh, my goodness, Dad. Woo! Like, thank God I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just saying. You know what I mean? I got four girls at home. So, uh, but this, but this, this whole idea of, like, let's just have a week-long party. Matter of fact, Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine because the first what, the, the wedding that he went to, it's like day four. They're like, bro, we got a wine, and we're, it's just day four. We got three more days, you know. So, th- but, th- I mean, the epic parties is, is what it was about. And it was good food and laughter and conversation, and someone taps the glass, you know, wants to, to, wants to say something. People are watching the couple kiss, you know, let's dance, let's eat, drink, be filled with joy. Um, because uh, it's, it's what feel, that's what it should feel like to be in the presence of Jesus. That's what he likens it to. Again, I'm not making this up. It's what Jesus says it's like to be in the kingdom of God. And so in this passage, Matthew 
his new faith in Jesus has led him to a place of radical hospitality. And the Bible tells us that he throws a great banquet. He's not like, hey, I had this thing happen. It was really cool. And he's like, he throws a great banquet in honor of his new life and transformation and to create space for people to experience the same. I just want to let you know as a church, we're going to dig in more. We're going to be even more than we are currently. This culture of celebration, this culture of party, this culture of like being about the things that God's about. Setting the table, doing whatever we can to create a party atmosphere for people to hear the story of, hey, God's transformed my life so that they can have that same experience in Christ. And the, the reality is, is we value what we celebrate and what we celebrate, it gets repeated. And that's true for us as a church and that's true for every organization. And, and, and uh, it should come as no shocker. Uh, the things you love, you celebrate in life. If you love people, you celebrate them. If you love certain events, you celebrate those events. If you love certain milestones or markers in your life, accomplishments, you stop and you celebrate those things. Why in the world will we not celebrate life change? So a little bit of an exercise in celebrating some life change. This past week at youth, we had 86 people in the room for youth, which is kind of crazy that God's like doing some amazing things in our middle schoolers and high schoolers. They're inviting their friends, people who are far from God. We had at least, we don't even know what the total headcount is. So many people responded. We had at least... 10 students accept Christ this past week at youth on Wednesday. This is where you clap and turn up. Yes. This is where you're like, yeah. That's pretty good. But in heaven, I promise you, it was so much louder. Right? So on Wednesday, it was just like, what? And, and so, like, it was, the Bible tells us that literally there's a multitude of angels that when one person comes to faith in Christ, it's just like whatever stadium experience you've ever had where your team won. It's just like that, but on steroids. It's just like, so we want, we want to celebrate the things that matter most. I want to celebrate life change. I want to celebrate a shift in perspective for people who've been following Jesus for a long time, but all of a sudden God's got a hold of your heart in a new and a profound way. I'm telling you, just having conversations with church family in this season, I can see God move and we want to celebrate it. We celebrate through baptisms. We celebrate biblical community, people taking the next step. We have more people in groups than ever before, more people leaning in, more people serving, more people helping to build out the kingdom. We want to celebrate the things that matter the most. And that's lives changed. And so in order to come to the, to the table, in order to be invited to the table of Christ, you got to know that you need what Jesus has to offer. And, 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 and when it's time for you to create that space, you got to know when to party. When are we celebrating? How do I celebrate? What do I do to create space for people um, who need what I now have in Christ? And then Mark 2, verse 21 through 22. Here's our last one. So no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Jesus says, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making a tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And Jesus, I'm not an expert in viticulture, right? So, but Jesus is saying, hey, if you take new wine, the gases in the new wine were literally, if you put that in an old wineskin, it'll just explode. Now you no longer have the wine or the wineskin. You can't patch that bad boy. You have to put new wine into a new wineskin. And here's what he's saying. You have to be made new. You have to be made new. Jesus didn't come to patch you up. He didn't come to put a Band-Aid on it. He didn't come to make you better. You need to hear that. He came to make you new. New everything. 
And, and it's scary because some of us, we're like, well, I really like that part. I want to hold on to that part. He's like, nope, that ain't going to work. You can't hold on to that part. You got you to be made new entirely. And so uh, this is his desire for us. In Scripture, clothing or garments are used to, to uh, picture character or conduct. For example, Isaiah writes about the robe of righteousness and then warns us against trusting our own works for salvation. He tells us that, uh, that our works for salvation are like filthy rags. And, 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 and so this is another thing that Jesus is alluding to in this passage when he's talking about patchwork. Many people have patchwork of religion, keeping some of the old self, some of the old ways. Let me pull in from this tradition over here. Uh, let me take this little bit of the Christian faith or the Bible that I like over here. Right. I like this new age philosophy. So we'll throw a little bit of that on there. And then what we end up looks nothing like what, what he intended. You're frustrated with the Christian life because you're not living it. So, so the difference between that mindset and the new self is I'm completely surrendered and God, you can have, you can have available are my relationships and my time and the things that I care about and my vocation and my purpose and my resources. And you just own it all. Just would you make me new from the inside out? And so, uh, this, this is what it means to follow Christ, uh, in, in trusting Christ for the robe of salvation that he gives us by grace. That's what it means. Not because I'm good, not because you're good, but because he is and because everything necessary for my salvation and yours has been done in him. And then he gives us over to becoming more like him. Jesus talks about tearing the temple down and rebuilding it in three days. And he says, it's no longer about the same set of rules, but there's a new order and the new order is grace. And the love of God draws us to a place of repentance, not the law, but it's God's loving kindness that draws you to repentance, not a set of rules. That has never, ever compelled anybody to do anything other than just remind you how jacked up you are, right? And so it's God's loving kindness that draws us there. So there will be no more priesthood in Jesus. There's, he's saying, hey, there's no more priesthood, no more altar, no more temple, no more sacrifices, no more trying to be good enough. But now all of God's people become priests who bring a different kind of sacrifice to God. Look at 1 Peter 9 through 10. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's the moment when Jesus looks at you and says, follow me. And then you drop it all and you go, okay. I'm going to leave it all behind. When I put my faith and my trust in him, not in me, but in him for my eternity, for my today, for my abundant life that he wants for me, for my marriage, for my finances, for my job, for my kids. I mean, things that we're trying to control in our own strength and you can't control them, but just handing it over to Jesus. And so Jesus is telling us, he's begging us in this passage of scripture, hey, you need to come in humility Matthew gets humbled. All the followers of Jesus get humbled. They, you need to come in humility. You can have a seat at my table if you realize that you need a good doctor. If you realize that you're sick and you're in need of a great physician, you can come. And, and Jesus is in the work of, again, not making things better. Um, not making you the, the best version of you making you completely new. <laughs> and he, and it, all throughout the Bible, right, all up to the end, Revelation 21, 5 puts it this way. 
He who was seated on the throne, Jesus, said, I'm making everything new. And that's his desire, not to play church, not for you to like appear to be good to the people around you or me or go through the motions or project an image of godliness, but he literally wants to make you new. Like he wants to make your heart align with his heart. And so many of us are so frustrated and tired from living kind of like an American, kind of Western, especially here in the South, Christian, uh, you know, a version of Christianity where we're just kind of going through the motions and, uh, you know, socially, we're just known as, as godly people or Christ followers, but we just know how much is left that doesn't really align with who God wants us to be. And we're tired because we're trying to manage things in our own strength. We have a patchwork. And it's like, I want to give you a new wineskin. Would you stop? Stop and let me work on you. And you're not going to look like Jesus tomorrow, but man, full surrender of every area of our life will just give you over to freedom. And it'll give you over to joy. It'll give you over to just not believing that you can do things in your own strength because you can't. And so, uh, as the great physician, he offers us a new life and a spiritual health. And as the bridegroom, he offers us new love and joy. And he gives us the robe of righteousness and the wine of the spirit. Life is a feast it's a banquet and he invites you to it i want you to think about the people in your life especially as we head into easter right only a handful of sundays left before we head into easter there's people in your life who are so far from god people in your life who um, desperately need what you have to offer in christ for the i'm again i'm talking to the jesus follower if you've had the moment where jesus shows up at your tax booth and he says come follow me the reason why he did that, it is for you, but it's also for the people around you. Look at his table. Tax collectors and sinners all over the place. You need, to, you need to figure out who are the people in my life who desperately need what I have in Christ. And then you need to create space, either on your own time. Do it on your own time if you want. You don't have to bring them on a Sunday. Do it at your home. But create space where you can share with them what God's done in your life. And say, this is who I, this is, the reason why I've had such a shift is because of what Jesus has done in my life. I don't know all the answers. I just know he met me and I know it changes things. And so I hear you when you say, I'm having a hard time with, or I don't understand this, or I don't know why I'm here, or I don't know how to navigate this situation. Let me tell you, I don't know either, but Jesus does. And so be praying over the next few weeks because there's, people will lean in at Easter and just in this season in general, more than any other time on the calendar. You have people in your life who are so far from God, they could give a rip. They could care less. But if you invite them to Easter, you're like, hey, just will you come to service with me on Easter? Yeah, sure. I grew up going to Mass. Yeah, my grandma used to drag me to this little Baptist church. I, like people, people have a historical framework. They have like some reference with the church. And so it's not, nine out of 10 people are going to be like, okay, cool, I'll do it. Pray about it. Who are those people? Invite them to the table in this season. And if you're here and you've never been told, man, Jesus loves you. He is not mad at you. He has created a banquet and you were invited. And not everybody wants to come, but some do. And it's just a decision you have to make. Like, do I want to leave everything and be made new? And if that's, if that's where I'm at, if that's where you're at, like he's just waiting on you. He's just welcome. He's, 
You just have to ask him. You just have to knock. You just have to, you just have to sit down at the table. That's it. That's our job. That's all we bring. And then he does the transforming work. And so you could be here and you think, man, I don't, like I got dragged here by my spouse or I got lost. I didn't even know this was a church. It's really uncomfortable for right now. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what, I don't know what got you in the room. But you could be here and be thinking, I'm so far from God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've been about. You don't know what I brought into this space. I don't belong in this space. Yes, you do. This is where you belong. At the table of Jesus. And so I want you to be thinking about that as we pray. What's my part? Who can I invite in if I'm a follower of Jesus? If I'm not and I have yet to accept that invitation, what does that mean for me? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. God, thank you that you are God who loves broken people. You are a friend of sinners. And thank you that you um, create space for me, God, and every single person in this room, every single person listening to this message today, you desire to be in a relationship. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would put just um, on people's hearts and minds right now, for those of us who are in a relationship with you, Jesus, those, those who are in our life who are far from you, and we need to create space. We need to be intentional about building relationships We need to be intentional about sharing our story of what you've done in our life. We need to not just put church in a box or our relationship with you in a box, but we need to just, we need to be consistent in messaging in our place of work at the gym when we're out with our friends. God, give us over to boldness and and, and courage of conviction to be consistent, to be who it is you're calling us to be. And really more than anything, to just share the hope that you've given us in you. It's changed our lives. And so why would we not share that with others? And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You've been around religious things. You've heard about Jesus, but you never had the moment where he looks at you and says, follow me. And you drop everything. I'm not talking about some things, but you go all in. You see him as savior, but you make him Lord as well of your life. And you want to experience salvation today. There's nothing that you could do to earn salvation. Jesus has earned it for you. And he has atoned for your sins. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you will do that's not godly or that misses the mark, he's already paid for it. And the moment of your personal salvation is the moment that you realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. And you say, I need a great physician. Would you heal me? Would you save me? Would you rescue me? So if that's you today and you're here and you know you need Jesus and you need to experience salvation with all of our heads bowed, would you just lift your hand in the room and say, that's me, I need to surrender my life to him. I have not surrendered. I know I need to be in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Just right where you're at, right where you are, if that's you, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. And I'm so grateful for what you've done. I'm grateful for who you are. And I know I need you. So would you rescue me? Would you heal me? Would you make me whole? Would you give me over to a heart of others so that my table looks like Matthew's? God, take all my sin and my brokenness and my shame and deliver me over to a place of freedom and a place of wholeness 
Give me over to a great purpose and a call so that I can make an impact in your name and build a kingdom, build a church. Right where I'm at, I don't have to change vocation, don't have to move. God, just give me over to the eyes to see the opportunities to share my faith of what you're doing in my life. Lord, for us as a church, would you just give us over to the same heart, the same mindset, missional mindset, that our, our table looks very diverse. All backgrounds and colors and experiences and all, all different shapes and, and uh, people, all of us who desperately need you, Jesus. And so help us to create more space for people who are far from you so they can come in to an encounter with you and be transformed by your radical hospitality, by your love, by your grace, by your generosity. God, give us over to that as a church family, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.